Hello and welcome to X-Tumblr Girls, the podcast hosted by two X-Tumblr girls turned modern Tumblr women who probably over-idolized Sylvia Plath a little bit too much. I'm your host, Tori. I'm your host, Carly. Let's talk about Tumblr. I love that in between us yeah. doing our intro and us starting the episode, we always just do a little dance. Yeah, because we're playing the intro music in our heads. Yeah. I hope our listeners love our intro music because we did spend quite a bit of time picking it out. Um, and now it's like one of my favorite songs. I know. I find it so calming. And the funny thing that the listeners wouldn't know, because I don't think we've ever said it, is that it's literally just like royalty-free lo-fi that we found mm-hmm. in like a royalty-free music library. And I'm wasn't it called like Parking Lot at Wendy's? <laughs> it was something stupid like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. I am having a really great week. I think this is like a great time for us to record because I just got back from vacation and I was all sorts of out of whack. I, <laughs> I landed back in America uh, last Wednesday. It's currently Friday. And I then slept for 14 hours straight after having slept the whole seven hour plane ride and the two hour drive home back from the airport. So I slept consecutively like almost 20 hours straight. And you're right. Like it threw me off really bad. And then. I don't know. I wasn't confident this week was going to be great. But then Tuesday night, I called Carly at like 11 p.m. and just started cutting my hair off. (laughs) And the week's been so much better since then. Until last night, a fucking bug flew into my eye. And I was like four blocks away from like my home, like my four city blocks at that, like they're not small blocks. And so I had to walk like 10 minutes home rubbing my eye because I could feel there was something stuck and I got home and had to pull a dead bug out of my eye. Oh my God. You know, it was really hard for me (laughs) to not have Lauren in my head, my sister who was just recently became an optometrist screaming at you not to rub your eyes. (laughs) But I, I I held back until today. <laughs> well, I ha- like. I don't know. I would have done the same thing, though. I don't. It was like so I scary. You. And then all day today, I've had like little floaties on my eye because I think my eye's trying to like mm. rehydrate itself from how vigorously I oh rubbed it last night. You need to get eye drops, girl. <laughs> I probably do because last night after I got it out, I also then like rinsed my eye with a glass of water because. <laughs> I looked up online how to do an eye wash at home. (laughs) And now I feel like I need to buy like an at-home eye washing kit, like as another one of my Yeah, like the ones they had in chemistry classes. (laughs) Yeah, like I need one of those. Oh my God, I wonder if you can get like a sink attachment. I I guess you you probably could, but how often would you be using it? Yeah, but that's one of those things like now I'm going to be paranoid about having things in my eyes because like I texted my mom and she was like, do you need me to take you to the hospital? Like you can tell why I am the way I am. 
Because <laughs> I said, I think a bug flew into my eye and got stuck. And she said, do you need to go to the hospital? <laughs> that is really extreme. <laughs> I know. And I was like, no, I'm going to try to get it out myself first. Oh, my God. I should have trigger warning this whole part with gross conversation about I, but I just jumped right in. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, Let's see. Do I have any other updates? Like I said, I was out of the country, which if you listen to the last episode, I don't even remember what the last episode was. Exposing Cocoa Bot? Yeah. Okay. Wait, we didn't do... Did we do any chit chat on that episode? I, I think... I might have said know. that we were both going on vacation and I was really vague yeah. about it. I posted it on the Instagram story that we were like on vacation, like actually. Um, uh-huh. So I was in Europe, which was really cool. I'd never been out of the country before. And I went to Germany and Austria for two weeks. It was very beautiful. And I saw a lot of really cool paintings. I'm just going to measure my trip in terms of paintings and food, <laughs> and therefore it was fantastic. That's amazing. You're so worldly now. I'm so And you actually worldly. went and you spoke German, which I feel like most I people that like go to Italy or, or like anywhere in Europe, they don't go there and speak the language. So no. That's pretty no, cool. No, I, I speak enough German to have gotten through like I would say probably – six out of 10 times which I know is not that great of a rate six out of 10 times that I like ordered at a restaurant or spoke to someone at a store they could understand me and I could understand them but then when we got to South Germany and Austria we were in Vienna they speak like a totally different dialect of German and so I ordered something in German the counter person understood me and then they asked me a question and I immediately went, I'm sorry, I don't speak German that well. (laughs) I just (laughs) gave up immediately. And my friend who I was traveling with, she is completely fluent in German. She's like a German teacher. And she was like, dude, you have to stop just giving up the second you don't understand (laughs) them. Like just ask them to repeat themselves. And I was like, no, I can't do it. It's too embarrassing. Because if I ask them over and over, I just feel bad. And it's like, Sometimes it's not even that I don't understand the words. It's that I have a fucking auditory processing disorder. So, like, if I can't process English fast enough, I'm not going to process German. Yeah. But I still think six out of ten is is a pretty good rate. I know. And I did get by with one waiter at a cafe in Vienna where we went to this, like, little local cafe on a day that we were just, like, chilling. And they definitely did not speak English. Like – I think if I tried to speak to them in English, they would have been like, I can't help you. But we had like a full conversation in German, which was so exciting. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, when I went to, I mean, to be fair, I was 16 when I went to like France and I was taking, I was in, you know, French too. (laughs) I didn't speak any French. I said merci and that was about it. I've heard France is hard though, because like the the native French people don't like when people try to speak French to them if they're not fluent. No, they don't. No, a lot of times when I tried to speak French, they just responded in English because they could tell that I was American. I was also 16, so, yeah, you know, I wasn't expecting <laughs> to really engage with the culture on my school trip. <laughs> <laughs> there was this one woman in Berlin. Um, fun fact, 
about Germany is that in recent years, their wasp population has like significantly increased because their winters have gotten so cold because of climate change that all their hornets died. And apparently hornets eat wasps. So now there's nothing eating them. And so there's just a fuck ton of them everywhere. And I got stung in the face. Oh my God. That was definitely one of the lowlights. That was, and I mean, to be fair, I'd been saying for days that the wasps were bothering me. And then I went to the botanical gardens. So Mm. it was slightly (laughs) on me. Um, but we were talking to this I woman at a coffee shop. <laughs> I didn't mention where I was when it happened. No. No. <laughs> yeah, I was at the botanical garden surrounded by tons of flowers. Oh my god. Yeah, figures. <laughs> um, but we were at this cafe and we were speaking to the woman at the counter and I, this was like our first day, so I didn't know about the wasp thing yet. And we're ordering like pastries for breakfast, right? And I look in the case and there's a wasp in the pastry case, like eating sugar off one of the pastries. And I was like, oh, there's, there's a bee in there. And she goes, yeah, natürlich, which means, yeah, of course. (laughs) And I was like, natürlich. And I was like, oh, and then my friend goes, it's like she said in German, like, oh, it's just a bee. And the woman goes, nein. Sie sind Vespin, sie sind freundlich, which means, no, they're wasps, but they're friendly. Oh, friendly wasps. <laughs> yeah, they're not friendly. And then I looked back to the case and I was like, oh, in fact, there is not one. There's like seven. Oh my so, God. There were wasps everywhere, inside and out. And I never thought I would miss the bugless atmosphere of the city of Philadelphia. I didn't know <laughs> how good I had it until I was gone. Oh my God. I also had no idea how much I would miss air conditioning. Well, that one makes a lot of sense. It sure does. But I came home and I have it now. Let's see. What else is on my up-to-dates? Here, a a bug flew into my eye yesterday. I'm (laughs) rewatching The Haunting of Hill House. Um, It's so good. I've already seen it like three times. And I... It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just got kicked out of Netflix no. and I am not paying for that shit myself, which is so sad because I was rewatching The Blacklist, mm. <laughs> which is, it is, if you have never seen The Blacklist, you have to at least watch one episode because like to me, it is camp. It is so <laughs> funny, the situations that these characters, I mean, it's a, like a... FBI procedural drama kind of so like one episode the main character they'll be like taking down a cartel that's kidnapping people and like forcing them to work and then they every single episode the main character gets into a near-death experience right um sometimes they you know take down like a cult and sometimes they I don't know I haven't I haven't watched it in a little bit because I got kicked out of Netflix so I'm (laughs) I'm not thinking of anything, um, but it's good. It's a good show. <laughs> it's but it's not good. No, it's one of those. Yeah, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I think but now all I crime out. crime procedurals are like that in some way because it's like no person in any detective role in any FBI role solves this many crimes on no. that frequent. 
no. And like the main character Liz is like she's just a complete badass and like <laughs> this isn't even really a spoiler, but you know, she's she's definitely like chosen coded. Mm. But basically what I'll tell the listeners is that they fucked up so bad. The writers, they fucked it up like beyond comprehension and it made me so upset when and the reason why it all fell apart was because during COVID, they were filming during COVID and they only had half of the last episode to go. So instead of like waiting to film it, they animated half of it and it was it was atrocious, like actually impossible to watch. And then after that, all the characters went off the rails and did things that made absolutely no sense. So I don't claim that part. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. That's an that's an alternate universe to me. <laughs> you know, sometimes I respect when uh, people know when to stop. Actually, that's the only thing I respect is when they know when to stop. <laughs> because Stranger Things didn't know when to stop. They didn't stop while they were ahead. Mm. And now it's going to have a crazy time jump. Maggie Stiefvater had the foresight to not let the Raven cycle be turned into a TV show because yes, she knew that, was so that they would fuck it up. <laughs> Which, in one way, I am so sad because I, like, genuinely to survive need to see these characters acted out by humans. But at the same time, she recently put out a post about how transferring it to script would have ruined so many of the intricacies that it like wouldn't even be the same story. And I was yeah. like, you gotta, you gotta give her props. She knows that it's a fucking book and not a TV show. Like yeah. the point of it is that it's a book. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, it's probably for the best. And plus yeah. there is not a shortage of content on Tumblr oh, for the Raven no. Cycle. <laughs> I reblogged new fan art of the Raven Cycle on a near fucking daily basis. Like the TRC tag is alive and well. Yeah, no. The fandom, they are hard at work. And they are just drawn pictures of Richard Campbell Gansey III <laughs> like it is their goddamn <laughs> job. And for that, I salute the soldiers. Because <laughs> they keep me going. Yeah. Um, I'm also playing Baldur's Gate 3, which yeah, I you love you've... this video game. Okay, we've already put like 30 hours into it, if not more. <laughs> Um, I know because it was last episode I talked about how, or maybe it was two episodes ago, I talked about how me and Ty don't really play a lot of video games together. Well, you were saying a couple episodes ago that you guys were playing that one that was like found footage. I think that yeah. was the last one you mentioned. So I don't even think we've recorded since you started playing this like D&D type one. Yeah. If you, if you're on Tumblr, you may have seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. But it was trending because it's, oh. it's a huge game. It's like massively popula- popular. And I think the reason, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why it's popular on Tumblr right now. First, because there's a ton of nerds on Tumblr. Yeah. And it's it's basically Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, the video game. Um, but something that's like interesting about the game is that the romance so you can like romance characters and they are definitely not um (laughs) censoring anything you have like six different genitalia choices which yeah 
This is what I, I recall you telling that's okay. me. And so I think people probably like it because you can like fuck sloppy style, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also people, some people have complained about it because a lot of times like the <laughs> no, but for, for a weird reason, a lot of the times in like in games, the romancing mechanic is like you can basically do whatever you want. You just have to like click the romance dialogue and you get to yeah. fuck them. And that's not how this game works. Like you actually have to befriend the character and I mean, I haven't tried to like romance more than one character, but they don't like it usually when you do. So there's actually like consequences for your actions. Oh my which God. I think it's, I actually think it's like, I don't, I think it's nice. Like people are mad that you can't be polyamorous and you can't fuck everybody. But I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it's fun. I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's like such a great game. Yeah, um, they just went D&D The Sims where you can like have exactly. mad sex every like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it is a little awkward because like me and T- we play split screen. And mm. so, so like he'll be getting like a romantic scene and I'll be getting a romantic scene. And we have to <laughs> like watch them next to each other. But we both get to have girlfriends. So I think it's actually pretty fun. <laughs> the communal girlfriend for the couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I literally all else that I've been doing is I didn't get to go on vacation. Unfortunately, my vacation was staying at my parents' house in New Jersey and paying for nothing. So you know. Oh well, we did get to see each other. I can't believe I, it's been like a week, and I kind of already forgot. <laughs> we got to see each other twice, which was really yeah, nice. Yeah, we got to spend a lot of time with each other last weekend. Yeah, all thanks to my car not working. <laughs> Which we love. We love to see it. Hot girl whose <laughs> check engine lights are always on. <laughs> um, but yeah, but other than that, the only other thing I have in my notes, which is from when we first made this notes document, which is like several weeks ago, is my kombucha obsession, which is still, oh, yeah, you know, that is still applicable. I still try to drink <laughs> kombucha every day. And it's, it actually is like helping me drink less wine. So I'm going to take it. <laughs> I don't know anything about kombucha. I don't know even if I get any of like the digestive like health effects. I just like the taste and that's the main I thought that's all it, it did was help your tummy. Yeah, but it also like I like the taste of it and that's why okay, I drink yeah. it. Okay, yeah. That's me with seltzer. I drink so much seltzer. <laughs> we love having a beverage. Yeah, it's good to have a bev that is not sugary. That is like good for you. Like a seltzer has no qualities to it in terms of yeah. nutritional value. It's just water with air in it. And so I don't feel bad when I drink multiple of them because I'm like, it's just water. It just yeah. be tasted nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's bubbly. And um, after I had COVID last year, um, my taste got fucked up a little bit all water tasted disgusting to me Mm. so for like a month i drank all my water with tons of fruit in it and seltzer and then eventually the bad taste went away but i was really dependent on seltzer for a hot minute there (laughs) you formed a trauma bond with seltzer water i did i formed a trauma bond with the seltzer (laughs) i trauma dumped into my glass of water (laughs) 
I love how we did that episode on buzzwords and how like Tumblr uses them wrong and then we use them wrong all the time. Well, because we use it wrong knowingly now because we say it as yeah. a little joke. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, But enough of our catch up. <laughs> we have a, a fun little episode today. As you may have intuited from the title of the episode being hashtag words and our intro mentioning Sylvia Plath, today we're going to be talking about the writing that has gone viral on Tumblr starting in the early 2010s, but being just as big a part of Tumblr today. And by God, Tumblr's like taste in poetry has not evolved even slightly. No, it is exactly the same kind of artsy overly extrapolated metaphors that were popular in 2014 and you know what i eat that shit up okay i i was a creative writing minor in college i did my thesis on poetry and i eat that shit up my poetry professor could tell that i was a tumblr girl (laughs) by the poems that i liked he knew he did did he actually know i don't think or was it it just i think it was the vibe he knew what kind of poetry person i was There was one Mm -hmm. time I told him that I used to like spoken word poetry. And he said, oh, I know. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. That's kind of insulting. Like if I said that to somebody and they said, I know, I just kill myself right there. Well, I was also into spoken word poetry. We loved button poetry. Oh my God. I would just sit on that YouTube channel and just go to the next to the next to the next to just watch all of them especially you, the feminism ones <laughs> yes you introduced me to button poetry i want to say sometime in like middle school early high school and i remember being shooketh to my core <laughs> on the feminism ones. blythe baird's pocket-sized feminism and pretty bird blythe baird slays right she blythe slays. Baird does slay there's also olivia gatwood she was a really popular one on Button Poetry. I don't remember what poems she did, but she has a bunch of poetry collections out now that I've actually been meaning to pick up a copy of because I've heard her written poems are actually quite good, which is not something mm. I always expect from a spoken word poet. I I don't know how, really how I feel about spoken word now because I, I definitely don't go on Button Poetry anymore, but I was a part of a spoken word club. Ooh. Um, at I never went to any like slams or anything mm. because when I would come to like a meeting and we would share our poetry and I would get up and say mine mm-hmm. you know I had a very a flat tone when I like because I didn't want my poetry to be slammed <laughs> I wanted it to be read yeah. in secret <laughs> um and then everybody else, like they were performing. They were they were there to perform. And you know, I just did not really feel like I belonged. Like we both write poetry, you more so than me. Like you have a, a book out with your poems. That is so real. Something I forget about often. Oh my god, actually, <laughs> she turns four in two weeks. Wow. That's so fun. And I'm sure you're gonna have more poetry books out later in your life. I do have aspirations to start working on one soon. I have a lot of poems that I wrote in college. As I mentioned, I did my thesis on poetry. 
which was emotionally grueling and maybe not the best idea for the state I was in. Um, being in college, being the state yeah, I was that, in. That's the state. <laughs> but um, I learned so much writing those poems and now I'm so proud of them. Like genuinely I sent um, a friend a poem recently because she put out a little zine. Shout out my friend Kendra. She made a lit zine called Think Bug. And she featured one of my poems that's called The Truman Show that I wrote as a sophomore in college in the first class with that professor who said, oh, I know, (laughs) because that man saw right through me. Um, I wrote that my sophomore year of college and I read it back and I was like, I'm good at this. That was good. Yeah. That was a good poem. Um, But the spoken word poetry and I must admit slam poetry was definitely a phase of my interest in like reading deeper into things. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that the American public school system, or at least the New Jersey public school system (laughs) doesn't do the greatest job of introducing poems as like an accessible thing that you can enjoy. So this is like a beef for a different episode probably like this today we're just here to have fun and read but like my beef in brief <laughs> that rhymes <laughs> i'm writing a poem right now <laughs> brief beef. um my brief beef with the the u.s english class is that they emphasize that poetry has to be deciphered and that mm. you know they they read you shakespeare and they read you i don't even know what else we didn't read a ton of poetry in my high school, but they make you read the, the overly metaphorical stuff. Oh, well, like even they make you read blades of grass by Walt Whitman. And they make you think it's so much harder to understand than it is because blades of grass is one of the most plain out poems like that exists. That's why it is what it is. And they're like, but what do you think he means by the grass? And it's like, it's about living life. That's it. That's the end of the story. (laughs) Yeah, I used to, especially in like AP Lit, I used to dread the poetry analysis days because I always did, I just did bad on them because I think one thing I was never taught was like the first time you read a poem, you just, you know, don't try to look into it. Just, Mm -hmm. just read it and feel it. But that, no, nobody was ever taught that in public school in New Jersey, at least. No. And they also taught you that there was like a correct way to decipher what was going on they were like well this is what it actually means and I was like I'm gonna tell you right now 2023 Tori is telling you that there is no it actually means like that's just not like there's a there's a fantastic book that I had to read for one of my poetry classes that is called The Triggering Town that totally changed my view of poetry that it's like there is an instant there is a place that triggers the poem's existence and then when you write the poem you explore that place and so anyone who reads the poem is venturing into that place and they might find things that the writer didn't find yeah and so I love poetry but uh in addition to the slam poems there's a great one that I gotta say I still think might hold up I haven't listened to it in a couple of years so I, I'm not going to make a total claim on it. But do you remember that poem that it was about um, high schools and slaughterhouses? Yes. I think it was called 
they're building high schools with curved walls or something like yes, that. Yes, I know the one you're talking about, but I, I don't know what it's called. It's that was some, a good one. That's a it's a good poem. It's a I good know, poem. I was just I was just going through the words tag on my blog and I got recommended or I didn't get recommended it. I reblogged it like <laughs> in 2015. <laughs> it was a slam poem from Button Poetry called the Tampon Poem. Oh, that one I is really one. good. Mm-hmm. That one is good. Um, I didn't rewatch it, but I know it's good because it's called the tampon poem. <laughs> I mean, Pretty Bird, Pretty Bird was crazy. And like, I saw someone recite it on TikTok a few months back and I was like, yeah, dude, she did something with that one. But yeah, anyway. Not me about to go back into a button poetry phase right now. <laughs> well, the words tag really has me back in my poetry bag because it is, I actually think quite impressive which poems have become so famous on Tumblr because if you compare Tumblr's poetry scene, interests, fascinations to Instagram's poetry space, they're so different. Yeah. And the fine people of Tumblr.com, as yeah. interesting as they I would they say may that be, they, yeah. They got good taste in poems. Yeah, definitely better than the average Instagrammer's taste in poems. Oh my, well, because Ruby Core is Instagram <laughs> poetry in a nutshell. I mean, truly, it is astounding to me that Gabby Hanna's book didn't do better numbers on Instagram than it did. <laughs> do you remember? Wait, I have to look it up. Her awful, awful poem. Oh my God. <laughs> God, do I want to know? Gabby Hanna. Oh, okay. Here it is. Here it is. The poem is called Relative. Oh, God. Time is relative. Beauty is relative. Family is relatives. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I want them to bring that to an AP Lit class and force them to analyze it until they come up with something. Oh my god. I just looked over and my dog is sleeping with her head on the pillow. Aww. Now I'm looking at Clover. Yeah. Clover Clover is loafing facing the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love having your pet in the room. Wait, look. Um, that was a wonderful distraction. Um, but Tumblr poetry is, I would say generally, like, pretty... I would say generally pretty widely agreed upon to be good poems are the ones that circulate most often on Tumblr. So we're going to share some of our faves. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about, so like recently on Tumblr, so they just, not really just, but they introduced polls a while ago and Mm. people have been making use of the poll feature. (laughs) Um, But recently there was a, a bracket going around of like Tumblr poems and surprise, surprise, the two headed calf one. I don't think anybody at all is surprised about that. I saw that from a mile away, Uh Uh, but I did see a lot of discourse from poetry blogs about the ones that ended up going, you know, farther in the bracket. I did too. And I was a little bit, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I, I did agree with some of the points. Uh, There was a, poetry blog I follow that was mostly upset that Tumblr uh, users 
don't read the full poems. Like a lot of times popular poems will just get shared in excerpts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get it, but I also feel like <laughs> the average Tumblr user isn't like a poetry connoisseur. You know, they yeah. just like it and they just like words that make them feel something. Yeah, and hashtag so I don't, words. Hashtag words. Like that, it's literally just words. That's why nobody says hashtag poetry because most people don't even want the poem. They want the words. The words. <laughs> yeah. Like hashtag words is not about poetry. It's about words. Exactly. I'm glad we're Because on the it same can page. also just be quotes. It can be singular sentences. It can be. Well, there's two ends to hashtag words, right? There's like high, well written widely accepted award-winning poetry right there's there's Mm -hmm. frank o'hara and mary oliver and alan bass and sylvia plath and then there's writing on a subway wall (laughs) yeah and everything else is in the middle (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes that writing on a subway wall really makes you feel something like sometimes it says some good (laughs) shit And sometimes it's photoshopped on there and I don't mind that. (laughs) I don't mind. You know, we're all, that's what we are on Tumblr for is to curate a vibe. And sometimes the vibe is fake. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes the vibe is fake. Sometimes it is. You know what isn't fake? The Orange by Wendy Cope. (laughs) You tell them. Yeah. In addition to the two-headed calf sweeping the, the Tumblr poetry bracket, I saw a lot of people upset about that one. They did not think that should have won. To be fair, yeah. there were some like very good poems that lost out in like the first round. But I thought all of the poems on the bracket were good poems. There wasn't one yeah. on there that I dislike. Yeah, I don't think that we should be surprised at the social media platform choosing a shorter poem over a longer poem. Well, I mean, it's we short. all are. It's it's completely imagery based it's a poem that people know when they see a picture that is based off of it yeah like the two-headed calf is probably amongst the top tumblr tattoos you could get and i that is like one of the next tattoos on my list i will be getting a two-headed calf tattoo and if that makes me basic i do not give a fuck like it doesn't though because i'm truly in a phase i i read a huge web weaving post about the space dog Leica. The one who mm. they sent to space. And somebody wrote a beautiful, I guess it was a poem. Maybe it was just an essay or something. But I saw it in excerpts on TikTok. They were all screenshots from Tumblr. And I, my social media experience is getting too meta. I really <laughs> need to make it stop. But it was all these beautiful like thoughts about Leica and you know, um, just her experience. And I would, I think I would love a little tattoo of like a dog wearing an astronaut hat because people are calling her the patron saint of one-way trips. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) But that, that's what like Tumblr, they really know how to curate a vibe. And that's why, I don't know if web weaving started on Tumblr, but the specific brand of Tumblr web weaving is very unique to Tumblr. Yeah. I haven't seen it anywhere else. There are a few literary magazines that have web weaving sections and they're not anything like the Tumblr web weaving. No, Tumblr web weaving will be like a beautiful line from a poem, a screenshot of a gorgeous painting that no one's ever fucking heard of, 
a line from the Raven cycle. And then another quote from a beautiful poem, a screenshot from a TV show, a Sylvia Plath quote, and then like another line from Fleabag. And they, they all match. The vibe is identical on all of them. It is really impressive. It really is. I love web weavers. They're doing God's work on Tumblr. Yeah. Um, Whoever uploads all the poems to hashtag words, you have done me a service you cannot (laughs) understand the value of. Um, But I'm going to just say the two-headed cat poem because we talked about it. And I think it needs to – like we're going to have a little – a little poetry reader thought. Yeah, we're gonna have a little. What are they jam. called? A jam? Is that I what don't it know. is? Okay. A sesh. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> oh, don't don't say sesh to me. <laughs> I'm gonna start thinking. Okay. <laughs> Call the church. She's thinking. <laughs> Watch out, God, she's speaking JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) That's an inside joke that you guys won't get, but I'm keeping in the episode. (laughs) Okay. The Two-Headed Calf by Laura Jilpin. I don't know if it's Jilpin or Gilpin. I I think it's Jilpin, to be honest with you. Okay, Jilpin. Tomorrow, when the farm boys find this freak of nature, they will wrap his body in newspaper and carry him to the museum. Tonight he is alive and in the north field with his mother. It is a perfect summer evening, the moon rising over the orchard, the wind in the grass, and as he stares into the sky, there are twice as many stars as usual. I'm like at tears streaming. <laughs> it no, it gets me every single it's time. So I good. Read it. <laughs> I'm like legitimately crying. I can't stop it. It's like I got like Pavloved by that poem. I know. As soon as I hear there are twice as many stars, it's just waterworks. I think I the line that always gets me is in the North Field with his mother. Because then it, it harkens back to the farm boys will find him in the morning and take him away to the museum, which means they're going to kill it, right? And yeah. the implications are that tonight he is safe with his mother. And it's a perfect summer's night, and in the morning he'll be gone. It's so sad. So but it's sad. like this. Is, so this is the poem that won, and it is a simple poem. But since when are simple poems bad? Since when? It is so well executed, and I think people were just mad because the top contenders were not like the best how yeah quote unquote the best it wasn't the ones that have the most literary value to them it wasn't the ones that are the most layered it was the ones that are the most popular but yeah there's something to be said about the accessibility of a poem that's a big word that my poetry professor always used is how accessible is the emotion of the poem Mm -hmm. because there are some poets who bury the meaning or the the actual emotion or the actual experience under a lot of words that don't actually need to be in the poem. Yeah. And I was taught, it was very instilled in me to pare down as thinly as possible and then find the gaps and fill them back in. And Mm -hmm. so like, I appreciate a short pared down poem because 
You could have a short poem, like a Ruby Core poem that doesn't fucking say anything. And then you have a short poem, like the two-headed calf that makes me cry on command. Yeah. That's why I think the poem won, because I I do think that most people have an emotional reaction to this poem, exactly. especially Tumblr users. Because right. also, like, this is a poem that's been, you know, it's been made into art. It's mm-hmm. been made into other poems. It's been put into web weaving posts. Yeah. It is, you know, it is part of the Tumblr canon. Yeah. It, you know, it can't be... For Tumblr users, it's almost it's like a part of our culture, which yeah, sounds like really so is. melodramatic, but it is. It's like Lara Jilpin is really like the poet laureate of Tumblr for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know yeah. if she is more than Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Plath really did numbers or, on the site. Or Mary of- Oliver. I mean Mary I Oliver. Think, yeah. I think Dogfish it's she's a lesbian. <laughs> Dogfish do be having a grip on that website. Really? Um, another who it's my turn to read. Um, <laughs> another writer who has a fucking chokehold on the website of Tumblr.com is Margaret Atwood. Oh, I mean, uh, I have more than she one. had a chokehold on me for my entire yeah. adolescence. <laughs> yeah, she did. You had her complete works, did you not? Yeah, I, I have most if not all of her poetry books yeah, and her, and anthologies. <laughs> and I also just love her novels too. But I was going to say, don't you have like her published diaries? No. Or is I that have... Sylvia Plath? Um, I don't, I don't know. I have, I definitely have Sylvia Plath, a Sylvia Plath anthology, a Margaret Atwood mm. anthology, and then a couple of Margaret Atwood's other poetry books. Mm. Um, and then I have a ton of her novels. I have almost all of her novels. Not that I've read almost all of them, but I do have them for my bookshelf. Having them is important. It's the vibe curation. It is the but, vibe curation. Um, one of, I don't know if I should even say one of, I should probably say the most impactful thing that the words tag ever provided me with was not even a poem. So I've just gone on and on about how much I love poetry and then my top pick from hashtag words is not a poem, but it might as well be the way it's circulated in its succinctness. Um, It's the quote from the robber bride that is referred to affectionately as the male fantasies. And though I'm sure so many of you have heard it, I will read it. We're going to say it again. (laughs) Male fantasies, male fantasies is everything run by male fantasies up on a pedestal or down on your knees, it's all a male fantasy that you're strong enough to take what they dish out or else too weak to do anything about it. Even pretending you aren't catering to male fantasies is a male fantasy. Pretending you're unseen, pretending you have a life of your own, that you can wash your feet and comb your hair, unconscious of the ever-present watcher peering through the keyhole, peering through the keyhole in your own head if nowhere else. You are a woman within a man inside watching a woman. You are your own voyeur. Oh, Maggie. How did she, does it she again. do it? How did she do it? Do you remember this? I think this was my freshman year of college when I asked you to record yourself saying that quote for a project I did. Wait, yes. Yeah, it, the project ended up looking ugly but I, I did that was my first thought was like I need to do male fantasies yeah I ended up one of the poems in my thesis is called 
Margaret Atwood, please don't make me kill the voyeur. And it's about the, the feeling of um, the whole, you are a man inside a woman watching a woman, right? Or no, you are a woman inside of a man <laughs> inside of a woman. And I think that my voyeuristic view from inside my head is a 13 year old who subscribes to the male fantasy. And mm. so it's like, you know, maybe I subscribe to the fantasy that I don't subscribe to the male fantasy now, but so much of what I do is dictated by what 13 year old me thought was going to be cool. And I mean, I think I've said it on the podcast before is that I love doing things that I feel like would make early teenage me happy because it feels like a, you know, like a healing the inner child thing is like, Mm-hmm. She wished she was one kind of person. And I've really kind of grown up into that person. I'm an ex-Tumblr girl through and through. <laughs> and so that voyeuristic like view in my head, it's her. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like, I hate her, but I don't hate her. And that's what the poem was about. And I was really proud of it. Um, and my professor sent it to one of the other professors at our school, who's a Margaret Atwood scholar. Like that's her area of literature study. And he was like, I'm going to send it to her. I don't have to tell her it's yours so that she doesn't ask you about it, but she's going to like that you're thinking about Margaret Atwood. <laughs> and I was like, I need oh, to I'm call always, that woman. <laughs> I was like, I'm always thinking about Margaret Atwood. Like, I actually think that quote, it it had real estate in my brain for several, It still several has years. real estate in my brain. <laughs> It might be taking up as much real estate as the male fantasy itself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, The next one I'm going to do is another one. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. But The Orange by Wendy Cope. I cry every single time I read this one. um, So bear with me. (sighs) Oh, God. I'm already starting. I'm just looking at it. (laughs) I'm just looking at the font in this particular screenshot. It's making me emotional. Okay. At lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters and I had a half. And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do, just lately. The shopping, a walk in the park, this is peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all my jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. I know I usually do not like I I think you have a similar opinion where you don't really love rhyming in poetry like you don't it's, always feel like a poem needs to rhyme thing I love this one like I love I the love rhyming in this one and I think it kind of it's not consistent no it's, it's not, not every line and there's not a scheme mm-hmm. to it and so I think like when a poem is not in a rhyme scheme, but it has rhymes, those rhymes become so much more valuable to the mm-hmm. like enhancement of the poem because that rhyme means something. Yeah. I also think this is also like another simple poem. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why I like the rhyming in it is because it is, I guess, very accessible. Um, and it's also, it's just like about like happiness and love. Yeah. And like that's, it's just, it just gets me every time. What can I say? There is, again, something to be said about an accessible poem and ending a poem with I love you and I'm glad I exist. Like, it tells the reader what the writer is feeling. 
It is plain words because being able to say that and having the whole poem make sense in the context of those lines, Mm -hmm. like the whole beauty of the orange is comically large and I, they got quarters and I got a half is like, we're sharing this part of life, but I keep more of it for myself. Like it's this whole, there's so many layers to it, but in the end, it's so clear. I love you and I'm glad I exist. Yeah. Oh, that's another one I want um, a tattoo of. I know it's just like an orange tattoo, but I want a specific tattoo where it's separated into two quarters and a half. That's what I want. That's so good. There's actually, I've been sending my friend Natalie every single time I see a poem about or involving an orange, I send it to her and I call them the orange poems. There um, are quite a few out there. There's oh, there's many. This one is my favorite. They're always good. Poems yeah. about oranges are almost always good i have seen a lot of people critiquing this poem because they think it's overdone but i'm like it's only overdone because it's so well liked and also who fucking cares who cares i just i don't think there is an overdone with poetry like it was written in a sincere there's only overdone with fucking ruby core that's the (laughs) bottom line is that that kind of poetry easy to overdo because it means nothing and I think when people say overdone, they mean that it's liked by the masses and that makes them feel less special. And <laughs> that's, that's not take. true about poetry, that being accessible does not make it less of a good poem. Yeah. And there, so many people are literature snobs in that way of like, they can only enjoy a thing if it's super hard to understand and like feels exclusive to be the person yeah. who quote unquote gets it. But the reality is that poems that are inaccessible in that way, that someone could read it and have no idea what just went on, those are actually the worst poems. Yeah. Because that's, that's not what a poem yeah. is for. I remember there was one time when I was taking creative writing last year, and I asked you, I had like a poem due the next day, and I'm like, okay, should I? I can only do one of the two. Should I make it generic and basic or confusing? And you're like, generic and basic. And, you know, I do, I do think that's usually the way to go, but I think that, you know, people on Tumblr are a little pretentious and that's just the way it is. That's true. And, but the thing is, there's a difference between elaborate and confusing. And I think it's, school does not teach you the difference between those two things. There can be a poem that is very plain, that is also very elaborate. Yeah, because, I don't know. There's so much to it. I literally got this like is a poetry one on one with Tori. I, <laughs> I got a minor in poetry, dude. Like I could, I could do a whole podcast about <laughs> poems. I'm sure. <laughs> we'll definitely do some more episodes. Um, but what what is your next one you want to talk about? Ooh, what is my next one I want to talk about? Okay, I'm between. Well, I have a couple short quotes that I'll throw into the honorable mentions, um, but I'm between. Ellen Bass's The Thing Is and um, Dorothea Grossman's The Two Times I Loved You Most in the Car. But I think I'm going to go with, there's um there's a real short one that's actually only been circulating on Tumblr recently. And it is not part of the traditional hashtag words canon, um, the way that mm-hmm. those two I just mentioned are. Like those are posts if you see ellen bass's the thing is easily gonna have two hundred thousand plus notes 
Mm -hmm. Um, This poem by Jenny George only has 9,000 notes on the one that I reblogged. Um, But I don't know if it's been posted before. Like I didn't really dig, but this is an, it's a short one and it's, it hits like a punch. I don't know if you've read Mm -hmm. this one. I read it to me. It's called Tin Bucket. The world is not simple. Anyone will tell you. But have you ever washed a person's hair over a tin bucket, gently twisting the rope of it to wring the water out? At the end of everything, dancers just use the air as their material. A voice keeps singing even without an instrument. You make your fingers into a comb. That's so sweet. I I think I I have seen that one. It is. I love that all the t- the poems that go viral on Tumblr, and I guess this one is kind of new, but mm. they're all just so like peaceful. I feel like that is like the overriding emotion. That is true. I think, yeah. Despite Tumblr being like, I don't know, so angsty. <laughs> I was gonna say angsty and depressing. Now I'm realizing maybe there has been some growth in the hashtag words community because I think. The poems I consumed in our early teen years were largely so depressing and like just validated how bad I felt about the world. And I think now I, I really am so drawn to poems that are about like how simple, like loving life can be. And that last line, you make your fingers into a comb is one of those things where I have like a couple song lyrics and poem lines that I think are the absolute definition of what love for another person is. And you make your fingers into a comb is that. Mm -hmm. It's like a universal experience. It's just, it's this, it's a motion of you turn yourself into something else to do this thing for the person. And it's, it's over a tin bucket. It's so simple. And I also really love, well, I love everything about this poem. There's like nine lines. There's not anything to not love about it. It also has a question in it, which is crazy. When a poem has a question and then it answers it has to it be a good question too. It has to be a to be good impactful. question. My poetry professor was so stringent about when I was allowed to use question marks and exclamation points. He also tried to beat the M dash out of me, but I refused. <laughs> Okay. I love an M dash. Okay. I will defend the M dash to my death. <laughs> if Emily Dickinson could end, end literally every single fucking line with an M dash, so can I. <laughs> but I love when a poem has a turning point, especially a short one. You know, like when it has a quick pivot, it's kind of really impressive. And to say after the question, at the end of everything, at the end of everything. And then yeah. to have this beautiful metaphor, the dancers just use air as their material. Like, it's literally is to say that you can draw beauty out of nothing. You yeah. turn your fingers into a really beautiful a comb. poem. And I will say, the way that I read poems when I read them out loud now, there is a certain, like, practice to it that I worry sounds pretentious but again with my I I will say I took a lot of poetry classes in college I took maybe four and I I think three of them were with the same professors so I am really just a regurgitation of him um (laughs) I mean there was 
there's a few things that are of my own thought, but majority are things I learned from him. <laughs> the M dash is you. The M dash is all me, bitch. Um, he was. I don't know how I like picked it up over time the way he would read a poem. Um, God, I hope he never listens to my podcast, but he, <laughs> his phrase, all, all poets and good writers. And I wouldn't even say just like wise people have this thing where they, they have a little thing that they ask. Um, and so for him, it's, do you see, he reads something to you and then he goes, do you see? Hmm. He just asks you like, are you, are you, are you seeing what's happening? Are you present? <laughs> are you, right. And I noticed it um, that other people do it when I was listening to an episode of Binchtopia that Eliza did with her Pilates instructor, Ada. And um, Ada would say something really profound and then go, do you know? And I, <laughs> I I, there's something about it. And I think maybe that's what I like about questions is poems is that it invites you to yeah. be part of it it's like and a, to yeah we're on the same page yeah it's an invitation this being a question of have you ever wrung out someone's hair twisting the water out gently like a rope like it's asking you have you been present in life in this way it's it's so mm-hmm. wonderful yeah and i think beautiful as much as i definitely learned 75 percent of what i know about poetry in college I would say the words tag probably contributed like maybe another 10% and then the other 15 being my own brain and thoughts. But like the words tag has taught me to be able to discern what I do and don't like in poetry, I think. And yeah. just turns out my taste is Tumblr good. poetry <laughs> and Tumblr poetry. I guess I, you know what, this has been a, a episode of learning because I really do think Tumblr poetry has evolved. I guess yeah. these poems were viral back then. Like they had a lot of notes, but I think the, the number of like angsty, basic, like uninteresting poems, I don't really see quite as yeah. often. Yeah, I would agree. Um, We've grown. We have grown. The words Usable. tag and community has grown. <laughs> well, we're ex-Tumblr girls now. Who are, we're still on Tumblr, but... Right. <laughs> we're modern it's not Tumblr 2014. It, It's not 2014 anymore, and for that, we are very grateful. Yeah, real. <laughs> now I'll, we can do things like, like Ellen Bass's poem, Indigo, which is one of my favorite poems of all time. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to share... Uh, I don't think we've done a Mary Oliver poem yet. We have and not. I'll I'll share a Mary Oliver poem. I'll be more than happy to do that. And okay. her poetry, I find to be kind of it's like the median, I think, of most Tumblr poetry. Like mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of it is very Mary Oliver as also like so many of her poems go viral. I mean, oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll read Wild Geese, but there's Dogfish is kind of long. Um, those Dogfish are like the is two. Long- but it gets posted in chunks. And mm-hmm. the impressive thing about her poem, Dogfish, is that it can be consumed in these little bites. And it's it's good no matter which way you yeah. cut it. Yeah. Well, I'll read Wild Geese right now. But you said you didn't know, Please but I do. think you do know it. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Yeah! She she did that. Oh, God. I love that after every poem, we're just, like, screaming. I, like, truly, I could go to, like, an underground venue <laughs> packed with people, and I could mosh to a good poem, I think. <laughs> this is a, a great event idea that I think we need to make happen. Yeah, if we ever, I, like, go on tour as podcasters, oh, we're mosh starting pit. a mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, okay, everybody, move the chairs. Move the seats. Open the pit. <laughs> I'm going to read Dogfish by Mary Oliver. <laughs> I'm going to read that one David Foster Wallace quote. <laughs> I just I just love the line, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it oh, loves. Oh, that's <sighs> the one. Well, that's that's the one that gets repeated a lot on Tumblr. Yeah. People talk and about, then, no, it's, there's like meta text posts about the soft animal of your body. Yeah. So I think that's what, and that's what Tumblr users eat up. They do. It's an image. It's a solid it image, image that involves an animal. <laughs> we are nothing if not suckers for something with an animal in it. Yeah, for real. Oh, it's so good. To our honorable yeah. mentions of poems that are either too long or not actually poems or not viral on Tumblr. <laughs> yes. So the, the ones I, I didn't get to, I'll say like a few like short quotes that won't, you know, mm-hmm. we won't get into them. I will them. as well. There's the rotten work quote that everybody knows. I don't even know. I guess it's, okay. It's from Euripides. I don't know. I think it's a, well, it says how I have it written down is Anne Carson and Euripides, but I don't know if that's true. Uh-huh. But well, if you because mm, I feel like it's wild like Shakespeare. I was going to say I think Anne, whoever might be the translator, because it's a Greek tragedy. It's mm-hmm. a classic, like it's an old Greek tale. Okay, well the the quote is, the lady says, "I'll take care of you," and then it's it's rotten work. Not to me, not if it's, not you. If it's you. Which, which you said it is, uh, Ronan Adam coded from it's the so Raven Cycle. It's so coded. It's actually <laughs> all of the Raven Cycle coded. It is like mm. gangsy polyamorous relationship coded. It's rotten work. Not to me. Not if it's you. I love seeing this quote over yes, um, Characters. over screen caps of shows yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah. it goes so hard. It can go. For legitimately any ship with like a weird tension of like one person thinks they're an awful person. Like Katniss Pita, oh my god. Absolutely, it's not rotten work. Not to me, not if it's you. That is a couple who is this quote. Mm-hmm. Even like Annie and P- Annie and Pita. Annie and Finnick <laughs> for that matter. Come on. Yeah. 
every good no, couple was... should have one who is it's rotten work and one who is not a immune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another one that I wanted to share was um, Miko Harvey's. It's called For M, but the the line you would know from it is um, the last line or the last two lines, which is, please linger near the door uncomfortably instead of just leaving. Please forget your scarf in my life and come back later for it. That line has been has been circulated, but the whole poem is actually, I really like the whole poem. I like poems that are um, kind of like conversational, mm-hmm. like very casual in the beginning, and then they just hit you with something yeah. that's like super emotionally charged. Yeah. I love that shit. I actually, I have a similar, it's, I've never seen it on Tumblr, which I think is sad because it it would go so fucking hard on Tumblr. Um, This is a poem I think should be on Tumblr because I literally think it would do numbers. There's this poem called In Defense of Our Overgrown Garden by Mattia Harvey. I would say it's probably either tied for my favorite poem of all time or my second favorite poem of all time. Um, Mm. And the last line (laughs) is so hard. Like, and by hard, I mean like amazing. The last Mm -hmm. line is to close. I'm sorry. There won't be any salad. And I love you. Oh, I love salad. <laughs> I don't know why that. I'm, I'm obviously getting a little bit tired when that's the only thing I can say about them. I love salad. Oh, it's so good. Um, but that's a wonderful we, poem that everyone should read in full. Um, I'll share my couple like short Tumblr viral quotes that are not, from what I can find, not actually from anything. Um, there's that David Foster Wallace quote, the one that I'm going to open the pit to that just says everything <laughs> I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. I have I love tried that. tirelessly to find where that's from. The closest I got was a post on Goodreads that says on the wall of a mental asylum. <laughs> and I was like, I saw that too. <laughs> I was, is this an indication? Is this a command? Is this like yeah. the alt text on an image? <laughs> like I really yeah, I I really don't know. Maybe we have to reach out to David Foster Wallace, get him on the pod. <laughs> Is David Foster Wallace alive? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never heard his name before, honestly. Wait, for real? I don't know. Is he? He No, he died in 2008. Oh. That's sad. Damn. We'll have to get a Ouija board out then. <laughs> We can bring Mary Oliver, too. That's the next episode. Mary Oliver and Emily Dickinson. And who's the other lesbian that we all love? Savas. Yeah. Sylvia Plath, we can throw in there for fun. Yeah, not gay, but should be. Um, my other Speaking one Speaking of is... Sylvia Plath, we should give an honorable mention to Mad Girl's Love Song, which is, it is one of my favorite poems. I think it's an amazing poem. I also have a... <laughs> I have always had an emotional attachment to Sylvia Plath, <laughs> even though I don't agree with her views. You know, she is an anti-Semite, or she was. Um, but I, there's this line in my diary from when I was 16 that I, 
I wrote the craziest shit in my diary, but one of them I just opened with like randomly on like a random Monday. I was like, I've been thinking about Sylvia Plath a lot recently. Like that's that's the kind of teenager I was. Insufferable. You were writing that diary with the the voice in the back of your head telling you someone will one day take a picture of this page and post it on Tumblr postmortem. <laughs> really? No, like I actually yes. You were writing for the voice in the keyhole. <laughs> I was. I still a male fantasy. I swear to God. God. Um. Another one-liner that gets thrown around often on Tumblr is, again, not from anything, but what I can find is it says, um, nothing ever ends poetically. It ends and we turn it into poetry. All that blood was never once beautiful. It was just red. From Kate Rakowski. That is so Halsey colors coded. It so (laughs) is. And... I actually, I was looking before we recorded because I think the line, um, nothing ever ends poetically might be from something else. There is literally no source for where or when she said this or wrote this. It it just exists. And that is the true essence of hashtag words. Yeah. Um, I think I, I don't know if I have a favorite poem. Like if I, if I had to choose... I think it would be Good Bones, which ah, uh, yep. <laughs> I have written this in almost every single diary I've owned, every journal. There is a page dedicated to Good Bones by Maggie Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's so good. I'll, I'll read it. It's not that long. I'll, no, I'll it's read a quickie. It. Yeah. When I, and I can get through this one easy, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. It's a wonder what Maggie Smith can do. Beautiful. Yes, I would say that one, I mean, now that I read it, that's probably my favorite poem. Yeah. I do really like um, Richard Sykin, like all of his poetry I love. I love Ocean Vong. Um, I have his book. I'm reading one of his books right now. I'm reading On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous, which is yeah, not that's poetry. It's, it's memoir, sort of. But yeah, God, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's he's amazing. And he's not as popular on Tumblr as he should be. It is. Um, he's like popular on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I think he's like actually active on Twitter. Mm. Or he was. Um, but I also, I really love this one point that, I don't think is that popular called Elegy for My Sadness by Chen Chen. It is very long. <laughs> um, and I also have this written in several diaries. Nice. Uh, that one is not, I would not say it's very Tumblr-like, though I did find it on Tumblr. Mm. It's it's a little bit more angsty than I guess the ones that we've been sharing today, which is, you know, I guess that's kind of 
Tumblr like. You know, I think we've, we've found got that, range. <laughs> I think that we found today that you and I love a soft poem about the world being good. Yeah. Elegy for myself. I'll read um, the beginning of it because it is actually hopeful, although it is sad. Well, an elegy um, is a death poem. Yeah. So I'll read the, the first little bit. Um, maybe the centipede in the cellar knows with its many disgusting legs why I'm sad. No one else does. I don't know why I'm sad. I want to be a sweetheart in every moment, full of goats and xylophones, as charming as a hill with a small village on it. I want to be a village full of sweethearts, as you are every second of the day, cooking me soups and drawing me pictures and holding me my inexplicable and elephant sadness. So it's about, it's kind of like about being a sad person and being loved as a sad person. So I'd say like, it's, it's got hope to it. And I, I know I love hope. I love hope. Yeah. In defense of our overgrown garden, I don't think is a hopeful poem. It's kind of amongst (laughs) my other tastes. It is a little odd. Like of the poems I am always telling people about, I think I love those short ones about how beautiful life is. But amongst my favorite poems, a lot of them are actually quite sad. Um, Not sad. I wouldn't say in defense of our overgrown garden is sad, but I think it is about death. It's like emotional. Um, I feel like I like poems that are just just have so much emotion and usually like sad as is an overwhelming emotion mm. but I like reading because then it makes me feel like my sadness isn't you know like usually poets can make it a lot sadder than how yeah. I feel so I'm like if it's kind of comforting in that way to be like oh you know I I can feel a little bit better about my own sadness when every think- somebody else is feeling you know the same overwhelming feeling that I that I have. Yeah, poets put into actual words the the weight of a feeling yeah. that I mean, that's what poetry exists for is they explain feelings in a way that other people can't. They do hashtag yeah. words. <laughs> hashtag words. Literally hashtag words. Um they put things into hashtag words. <laughs> <laughs> Should we call this episode to put it into hashtag words? <laughs> yes. That's a perfect. Um, <laughs> Is there any other ones you want to share before we close? Yeah. We, we could just keep going forever. I know. I'll just give um, my other favorite titles. Um, there is one I read recently on Tumblr. That's called My Mother Texts Me Instructions to Cook Silken Tofu. That's a beautiful poem. It's a, a new one to my understanding because it, I, I think it literally mentions like an iPhone. So it's yeah. it's more of a recent poem to my understanding. Um, and I love I, – as much as I love poems that were written in like in the early 1900s, like Sylvia Plath era poetry, I also really love finding – modern poets um Mm -hmm. because their work can be more relatable and yeah yeah of course like intense emotion is always relatable but there's something beautiful about a poem that mentions an iphone to me yeah there just is because i think there's something that feels so unpoetic about the time that we live in and we romanticize the the poeticness of the time before but poetry keeps going yeah um my favorite poem of all time 
is called Where You Go When She Sleeps by T.R. Hummer. I do slightly resent that my favorite poem is not by a woman, but that's what In Defense of Our Overgrown Garden by Mattia Harvey is for. <laughs> um, Where You Go When She Sleeps is a poem that I read in a book about writing. Um, mm. And it's a poem that is about, it is the moment of, um, it's where you go when she sleeps. It's about looking at your lover while she sleeps and falling so deeply into her blonde hair that you feel like the boy who fell into a silo of oats, like an angel yeah. and was filled from the inside out with oats. And when they dragged him out, he was full of gold. And you did show me that poem once. Ah, ah. <laughs> I would read it, but it's so... Ah, <laughs> I would read it, but it is kind of long. Um, we can post like some of our favorites. On that's so Instagram. true. Yeah, it is kind of long, but I'm going to read just the last few lines, like the second half of the poem. Yeah. Um, and he forgets his father's warning, stands on the edge, looks down, the grain spinning dizzy. And when he falls, his arms go out too thin for wings. And he hears his father's cry somewhere, but is gone already, down in a gold sea, spun deep in the heart of a silo. And when they find him, he lies still, not seeing the world through his body, but through the deep rush of grain, where he is gone and never can come back. Though they drag him out, his father's tears bright on both their faces, the farmhands standing by blank and amazed. You touch that unnameable color in her hair, and you are gone into what is not fear or joy, but a whirling of sunlight and water and air full of shining dust that takes you, a dream that is not of you, but will let you into itself if you love enough and will not, will never let you go. Wow. Tears. Like that poem is one of those things that I read it and I'm like, I... I don't know that I'm capable of writing something that good, but God damn it, I hope I am. I I believe you. Are. You have written some amazing poems and I cannot wait for your book to come out, which will come out. Soon. It will. I mean, I, I know you're not writing it yet, but. I did promise myself last summer that I was going to work on another one. Um, it has been a whole year since then. I did intend to give myself two years, but now I'm realizing that is way too short of a time to work on a book. Yeah. My professor, my mentor, whatever you want to call him, um, took 12 years to write his most recent book. Wow. And I feel like that's the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, when you're ready to publish, I will be ready to illustrate the cover like I oh, did for the last one. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, um, my book does exist right now on the internet. But I really need to take it off Amazon. <laughs> and do it was easy at the time. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking what I might do is pull the listing and then like order a bunch of copies because I can order author's copies for a lower price. And then mm -hmm. maybe I'll just, you know, sell them if people want yeah. them. I'll just sell them on like my Instagram or something. Amazon yeah. can't stop me. Um, but my last one that I wanted to mention, I mentioned Indigo by Ellen Bass a couple times this episode. 
Indigo is such a beautiful fucking poem. It is so long. I actually had the, (laughs) my brain went the supreme joy of attending a poetry event. It was a virtual one, but Ellen Bass was reading. And by God, what a poet that woman is. Indigo is a poem about looking at a man with tattoos and wishing that you'd had that kind of father for your child. And that's where the indigo comes in. But the poem, it moves through so many things. And in the end, comes to her asking her daughter that if she were ever on life support, her daughter would know when to pull the plug. It's it's a wandering poem. And her daughter, it finishes with her daughter telling me, just tell me when is too far. It's mm. it's absurd what this woman can do with hashtag words. Um, hashtag words. And then the final one is a poem called The Lanyard by Billy Collins, which is about- I do love Billy Collins. Yeah. I have a couple of his books. The Lanyard is about um, the gifts that you try to give to your parents in exchange for giving you life and how they'll mm. never be adequate. But what- your little hands can make when you are a child you try to give back and it's just a fantastic poem and I really love when I suggest it to someone and they've never heard of it and I'm like oh boy you are in for a ride go read the lanyard (laughs) I think I've impressed myself in recent years by how many poems I have memorized like Mm -hmm. that I have like stored in a rolodex where if someone starts talking to me about poetry I start spitting out titles that I didn't even remember that's why you got a minor in it, girl. Yeah, that's so real. <laughs> oh, there's one left. Wait, I thought of the last one. I know what we're capping the episode with. Okay. This is genuinely one of the most insane poems I've ever read. I think when I was asked to read this for a class, this was the moment that I was like, oh, I want to do poetry for the rest of my life. Like there was this... Mm-hmm. Because my class was talking about it and someone had offered up one explanation. And then I was like, yeah, but I think it's this other thing. And my professor was like, I'm so happy you saw the other side of it. And I don't know. There, I have a total like validation streak that I need from <laughs> literature professors. But whenever I have a literature professor tell me that a way I interpreted something or something I noticed is not something that they had noticed before... I'm on cloud nine. Yeah. <laughs> so this will be, unless you have more that you want to share, I'll cap the episode with this. I I did want to share, well, Richard Sykin just came out. I mean, I don't know if he came, he's coming out with a new poetry book mm. and he's like published some of them that are in his book, but he mm. tweeted one that is unpublished. And I don't know if it's ever going to be published, um, but it's pretty short. So I'll just... I'll read it. Okay. Uh, I think it's called Tablecloth. A kid underneath a tablecloth insists he's a ghost. A table underneath the tablecloth is, I guess, like the rest of us, just pretending to be invisible. When I grow up, I'm going to be a truck, says the kid underneath the tablecloth. And that's one way to deflect the weight of the inevitable, to insist, of, uh, to insist on possibility in the face of grown-ups and the promise of their compromises. I hadn't read that one. That's I love him. He knows what the fuck he's doing. To deflect the inevitable. Yeah, okay, you, you can end with yours. All right. God, that's hard to follow up. But I think Ars Poetica can do it. So this is um 
This poem is called Ars Poetica, in parentheses, Cocoons, by Dana Levin. Six monarch butterfly cocoons clinging to the back of your throat. You could feel their gold wings trembling. You were alarmed. You felt infested. In the downstairs bathroom of the family home, gagging to spit them out, and a voice saying, don't, don't. That's the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, my God. And ours poetica means- I think I got a little chills. Ours poetica means on poetry. So it's- I see. There's so many ways to interpret it, but, you know, part of it is that you feel this need to say the thing that's, like, stuck inside of you. It's infesting you, and you want to say it, but- there's something telling you not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the use of the word gagging in this poem. It Like, I I never thought I could see that word poetically. Yeah. It's, uh, and also, it ends on an M dash. Well, say no more. <laughs> don't, I don't. fucking love Ends on an M dash. <laughs> We're going to end this episode on an M dash somehow. Yeah. And if we could verbally end this poem on an, this poem, this episode, <laughs> we could verbally end this episode on an M dash. We would. Um, My last note before we close out and say goodbye is two things. We are going to go back to being every other week. Thank you for bearing with us through the summer. Um, Things are going to be more consistent from now on. I know I've been saying that for months, but this time I mean it. Um, And two, you guys can't see it, but I want to brag about a great friend that I have that for my birthday um, got me a t-shirt that says X Tumblr girl on it. And I just love this shirt so much. We got to get you one. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get you a matching one. And then, and then we'll get one for all of our listeners. And then for all of our, you know what? Truly one day, if I had the money and the resources, I would buy like our first hundred Spotify followers all a t-shirt, you know, yeah. just as a maybe thank one you. Day. Share the podcast and then maybe if, yeah. if you stuck with us for this long, you could get a free t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, for real. You know, I think there's a couple of, y'all out there who I could see actually wanting an ex Tumblr girl t-shirt. And so hang on with us and we'll hope that one day we get there. <laughs> That's all we got for you right now. But yeah. That's all we got is the hope. This episode hope is the hashtag about words. Hope. <laughs> hashtag hope, hashtag words, hashtag poetry, hashtag talk to you next week. Hashtag M dash. Hashtag M dash. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We are so excited to have you here and hope you tune in again next time. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at xtumblergirlspod. Our TikTok is at xtumblergirls. And we, of course, have a Tumblr. You can find us there at xpodcastgirls.tumblr.com. And we kindly ask that if you're enjoying the pod to give us a rate or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps us connect with the rest of the world's xtumblr girls. Come join, be our bestie, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.